This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are in this series called A Heart for the House, and the series is about taking the next step in your faith. And that's really where, where we started last week. Uh, it was just kind of gave the illustration, the idea of a, of a home and moving from the foyer from the, you know, the foyer of a home onto the living room and onto the kitchen. This is metaphor that we're using to, to talk about how do, you, how do you just simply become family, going, moving from guest to family. And last week, I started by talking about this idea that Jesus invites us on this adventure of a life. Because here's the reality about it, that moving from a guest to a family in a home, or more specifically, like a church that we are, is risky at times, right? You walk in, you look around, you say, man, I don't know these people very well. I'm not even sure if they're my people. They don't know who I, they don't know my baggage. They don't know my background. I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain about exposing any of that stuff. And so the temptation is remain a guest. Just watch at a distance, right? It's risky. And yet you have to understand that Jesus doesn't invite us to just simply watch things at a distance. He invites us to go all in, and that's what we talked about last week, is about going all in. So the question is, are you going to simply settle in, or will you go all in, right? Will you watch from a distance, or will you actually get connected? Will you remain a guest, or will you become family? And that's where we're going. And we know that this is really a process, to move from guest to family is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not, you know, couples know this when they get married, that to go from when you first met to when you got married, it was a process. You know, even if it's love at first sight, it's still a process. I mean, that's what, that's what happened to Christy when she first saw me. You know, she's like, it's like, yeah, you know, but it took a few months before we got married <laughs> and we did it in a hurry. You know, I'm just, you, I hope you caught the sarcasm there. That's not what happened exactly, but but even if it's love at first sight, you know that there's still a process, right? Imagine a guy sitting at Java House. He's having his coffee. He's studying for an exam coming up, you know, and he's sitting back there, and he sees a beautiful girl walk through the doors into the Java House, and he sees her, and he says, like, he, he's just, he's overwhelmed by her. And so he gets up from his table, walks to the table where she's sitting at, and says to her, um, I saw you walk in. And I just have to tell you, you're the one for me. Now, ladies, how weird would that be? I mean, that would be like the, probably the best pickup line in the world, except it was just weird, right? It's just weird. Now, imagine, that's weird already, but imagine the guy then getting down on one knee, pulling out a diamond ring and saying, will you marry me? He just met you. Will you marry me? That, that would be, I mean, you would think the guy is crazy, course, if the diamond's really, really big, you might reconsider. You might think that it might be okay to, to explore this a little bit further. Maybe not, right? I wouldn't recommend it. Don't do that. But it's a process. It's a process moving in a relationship. So we know that's how relationships work, right? That you meet a person, you get to know this person, you start, there's a season of exploration, you're getting to know how, who they are, you're getting to know their interests, you're getting to know their, you know, whether you're attracted to them or not. And then over time, what happens is you start realizing that the interest and the attraction can lead to commitment to each other. Then you propose. Then you say, hey, will you marry me? And then you follow through with marriage. This is how the process works. And I think it's the same way in, in terms of a process for church life, becoming a, from a guest 
to family. Uh, there is this journey that you walk through. I'm using a lot of metaphor here, but this is a journey you walk, walk through when you walk through the doors and you're hanging out in the lobby and you come into this auditorium and you get to know these people. This is not the ending point. If you're a first-time guest here and you walked into this church and you sat down, that chair that you're sitting is not the end. You didn't arrive yet. There's still a journey to be explored. There's still more to go in this, in this journey of faith. And so that's what we've been inviting you into. That it starts, first of all, with a commitment to Jesus Christ. That when Jesus calls us, he calls us to go all in. And we say, God, here I am. I'm all in for you. Now, when we say that prayer, we're all in for you, it doesn't now mean that I just sit down and wait till he returns. There's action involved, there's, there's, there's a journey involved, there's commitment involved, there's connection involved, and so that's really what we've been talking about. It's time to engage, it's time to connect. And so we're going to look at a verse in, in Acts chapter 2 where we kind of get a glimpse of what this engagement looks like. Last week, the challenge was, will you explore, will you go all in for Christ? Will you look inside and ask yourself, am I, am I family? Am I connected to this house? And if not, God, I just want to go all in for you. I want, to, I want to explore this. And it's scary like we talked about. But today we're going to look at what it looks like once you start engaging, once you start moving from guest to family. Um, in Acts chapter 2, let me give you a little bit of background. Peter, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit had happened. They all, the, you know, there was 120 in this upper room, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues and other languages, and, and this amazing miracle thing happened. And then Peter gets up, and he preaches a sermon, and a pretty convicting sermon at that. He, he pretty much points the finger at them. Now, you have to understand, Peter was, a, it's, we're talking about the same guy that when a, when a little teenage girl said, hey, I think you're one of his disciples, he was like, I'm out of here. You know, he, didn't, he was hiding. He was running. But now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's emboldened. He has this power that's now flowing out of him. And so he speaks with authority. He basically points his finger at them and says, you're the ones who crucified him. You're the ones who put him to death. But this is what God had promised all along so he, life could be brought to us. And it tells us that that group of 120 people, by the end of Peter's sermon, so in the same day, by the end of Peter's sermon, 3,000 people were added to the church. I would love that kind of church growth, but I'm not sure that I would love the problems that would come with 3,000 people added to the church in one day, because that, be, that would be utter chaos, right? And I'm sure that it was chaotic for them as well. There was chaos going on. Here's what it says in Acts Chapter 2, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves. So at the end of this chapter, after Peter's preached, 3,000 have been added. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What I like about this verse is it, it's like Luke is telling us, here's what happened. This is what the church looked like when they got connected. When they went from being just simply a guest watching from a distance to now becoming family. This is what it looked like. So he uses the word devoted here, which has this idea of commitment, of, 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 of intense, intense effort, not quitting, not giving, in, not giving in, not giving up, steadfastness, consistency. In other words, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not a passive thing. Are you following me? It's not about just... If I can wake up on Sunday morning and the alarm rings and I wake up and I go to church, then whew, I'm a Christian. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's an active thing. 
It involves engagement. It involves steadfastness. It involves commitment, right? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These early followers of Jesus didn't just stand around in the foyer, but they engaged instead. They weren't on the periphery. They were moving towards the center and being connected. And that's really the challenge for all of us today. The Holy Spirit, for them and for us, was placing in them a heart for the house, a desire to be connected, more than just watching from a distance. And so this heart, you see that there's these four distinct kind of cornerstones that, that, that Luke talks about. The first one is this, is that having a heart for the house means you engage the scriptures. You engage the scriptures. And let me, let me be clear here. This, when, when this happened in Acts chapter 2, you have to understand that the Bible as we have it today, they didn't have this. They, they weren't, like that 120 weren't up in the upper room with a, you know, uh, let's see, a today's New International Version Bible in Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever language. They, were, they weren't, that's not what they had, right? So, so it, it sounds strange when I say they engaged the scriptures, but what they did have, and it wasn't necessarily in written form in their hands, but through oral tradition, what they had was the, the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the Jewish scriptures, the words of the prophets, words of the psalmists and David and Solomon, the, the, the Torah, the law. They had those things. And they had them, and, and that's what they learned. And then you have on this, on top of that, it talks about the apostles' teaching. And so to be a little bit further clear on that, what does the apostles' teaching mean? So if you look at the New Testament, right, your, your Bible, and you go to the New Testament, the first four books of the Bible are the gospel. They call the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John basically can be, in a nutshell, described as the life and times of Jesus Christ. His birth, his ministry, his passion, his death, his resurrection. And that's what you can see, find in the Gospels, four different accounts of the, basically the same thing. And so the apostles' teaching, again, through oral tradition, not necessarily written yet because the New Testament was still being written. The, the apostle Paul hadn't even been saved yet to write the later New Testament. So through oral tradition, these apostles were talking about the life of Jesus Christ to these newly formed believers. You see... They were firsthand witnesses. They remember when Jesus took five little barley cakes and two fish and put them together and broke them and created a banquet for thousands. They remember when Jesus walked by a leper and, and, and healed that leper and cleansed his skin completely. I remember when Jesus did something really weird and got mud and put it on a blind man's eyes <laughs> so he could see. And so they were telling these stories. This was the apostles' teaching. They were talking about what Jesus did here on earth, and that's, that's what they were dedicated to. They were, they, were engaged, they were engaged in the scriptures. They were engaged in, in, in the teachings of Jesus Christ. We have this uh, guy that attended our church. His name is Richard Mago. I have a picture of him. There we go. Richard and Carol Mago and, and their kids, they were attending Life Church for, for many years uh, when we first started. In fact, at the very beginning, they were one of our very beginning people who attended Life Church when we first started Life Church 14 years ago. And uh, Richard was a PhD student here at the University of Texas. He was studying in environmental engineering and was an incredibly committed follower of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's the thing about Richard. He had this insatiable appetite for God's word. 
I mean, I used to study at the Corville Rec Center, so I would go there to like prepare my sermons, and I would sit at a table, and often I would see Richard sitting there. He's a PhD student. It's not like he doesn't have anything else to do, right? He's got work to do, but he would be sitting at a table with a big Bible out. He always had this huge Bible, big Bible out, a commentary, and a Bible dictionary, and he was studying the Bible, and he spent hours doing that. He loved God's word. He had this amazing appetite for the scriptures. In fact, we used to, we used to play these games. When, when the church was smaller, we'd have these like icebreaker kind of games, you know, and we would, we were like, uh, uh, like scripture trivia kind of things. We decided that's, if Richard's here, we're not playing because Richard wins all the time. Like he knows it. He just, he, he was just such a student of the Bible. He knew the scriptures, I mean, inside and out. And so they lived right next to the, uh, to the, Corville Library in these apartments and would just walk to the Corville Rec Center where we were meeting. But then we moved from Corville to North Liberty and we began having services in North Liberty. And that became a hardship for Richard because they, had, they were one car family, didn't have a lot of income. And so he wasn't going to buy another car. But remember, Richard, Richard was a committed follower of Jesus Christ and he was committed to the word of God. So he said, I got a bicycle. And so he would ride his bike from Corville to North Liberty every single Sunday. I remember one particular Sunday, it was like raining cats and dogs, not literally raining cats and dogs. I said that first service, I said literally cats and dogs, and people looked at me and they laughed, and I didn't know why they laughed, because it really, there wasn't really cats falling or dogs falling. It was just big rain, right? But it was raining. I mean, it was, it was a really, really hard rain. I was actually thinking that, the, that we may, people might not even show up at church because it's raining so hard. And I look up and I see Richard walking through the door, has a raincoat on, soaking wet. And he was putting his bike up. And I'll tell you what, I just was moved to see Richard and his commitment um, to, to be there, you know. And he was, you know, he, he, had made a, he had made a commitment to working with the kids' ministry. And so he was going to be there no matter what, right? Now, the day the, he graduated and they were leaving, so we'd made a decision to, uh, to recognize Richard and Carol and their, you know, their, their contribution to Life Church. And so we invited them up to, to, uh, to the platform to say goodbye to them as they were going back to Jamaica. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I remember uh, he, he had a scripture. He always had, he always had a scripture verse. That's one thing about Richard. Is if you started, if you, he didn't talk a lot, but if you started engaging him in a conversation, he always had a scripture verse to share. And so this particular Sunday, he had a scripture verse to share. And before I read Luke 9, where he, where he read, this, it's a passage of scripture where Jesus is talking to his would-be followers, and he's saying, listen, I want you to count the cost of what it means to follow me. Because it's, it's a great journey, it's a great adventure, but there are some days that I won't even have a place to lay my head down. I won't have a, I won't, I won't have a place to live. But I'm challenging you, I'm inviting you to follow me. To count the cost. And then Richard read this verse, Luke 9, 62. says, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Kind of a harsh verse that he was reading out to us. But here's how he, he, he put it in context. He said, guys, 25 years ago when I first gave my life to Jesus, I put my hand to the plow. I made a decision back then. I was never going to look back. Now, why am I talking about Richard and all this in this, in this particular point? Richard made a decision based on his love for the scriptures 
because he had engaged the Bible in so he had engaged the Bible so much that it was informing how he should live his life. That he would walk out one Sunday morning and notice it was pouring down rain. I have a commitment to children's ministry at Life Church. It's five miles down the road. I only have a bicycle. But God, I love you. And it's been informed from the scripture, so I'm going. person with a heart for the house is engaged in the scriptures, no longer living in the status quo. See, you and I are invited, now that we have the whole Bible, we're invited to, to eat this book, to allow it to begin to influence our values, our worldview, everything about us. And as we do that, it's amazing how our lives get transformed. It's amazing how addictions get broken how relationships, marriage relationships, and all that stuff. This dynamic marriage class, it's about incorporating the teachings of Jesus into our marriage. So engage the scriptures. Second thing we see here in this passage is that having a heart for the house means you engage in community. In verse 42 again, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's the word koinonia. It's this idea of communion, of doing life together. To, to fellowship, to the breaking bread, and to prayer. Now, fellowship cannot be done by yourself. That's weird to do fellowship by yourself. Okay? Christianity is not a solo act. Are you following me on that? And some of you need to hear this because I do think that sometimes you live such private lives that you just are trying to do your faith all by yourself. It's not a solo act. You and I have been designed to do life with others. I, can, I don't have enough time to go into the, all the scripture, the body of scripture. It talks about that. But you and I have been designed to do life with others, to live in community with others. In many ways, that's what this whole series is about, moving from guest to family, right? Now, Jesus modeled this for us. He had, he had this inner core these three, Peter, James, and John, that they, he would take them apart and he would you know, he'd pull them apart and, and they would do life together. Then he had a little bit larger group, the 12 disciples, and he spent three and a half years with these 12 and invested in them and poured his life into them. And then we find that he had even a, a larger group. Uh, it says in another passage that he had 70 that he sent out two by two to preach the, the good news of the kingdom of God. And then we have on the day of Pentecost 120 followers of Jesus Christ. So you see just by these numbers that there was a a large number of people that were in community with Christ and with one another. I want you to look at it this way. Imagine, I want you to imagine three concentric circles. I have have an image of the three concentric circles. Do I have an image? There we go. Okay, we have the crowd, okay? So imagine this larger circle is the crowd. So that would be, say, our church. Okay, we have on any Sunday morning, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that come to Life Church. They are part of the crowd. Now, what's the value of the crowd is this. The value is that you come in and you see a lot of other people and you realize, I'm not alone in this. I've been trying to live a holy life. I've been trying to live a righteous life. I've been trying to live for God. And I look around, there's a lot of other people that are trying to do the same thing. So you come to this large group, this crowd, and you feel inspired to continue living for God. But here's a challenge with the crowd. The challenge with the crowd is that it's easy to remain, to remain anonymous. It's easy to hide in the crowd. It's easy to walk in, find that little space that you sit at every single Sunday, 
And then when Pastor Rich says amen, or maybe even a few seconds before he says amen, you're out the door. And you remain anonymous. You remain a guest in this house. And we don't want you to, that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to move from guest to family. And so there's this movement from the crowd to the next to the next level is the committed. That's when you come in and you start saying, I do like this. And I see all these people. And I think I might have some similarities with some of those people. I think our lives kind of parallel each other or our lives are similar. I know I see that there's this brother over there and I really like him and I think he might be able to speak into my life and and help me along in my spiritual journey. So I'm going to explore a little bit further. I'm going to find out what they're all about. I might join a class like I might join the launch class, you know, or the Holy Spirit class and find out a little bit more about this place. I might even start giving and tithing in this place. You know what? They're talking about kingdom builders. Maybe I should do something for kingdom builders. That's the committed. But you need to understand that it just moves beyond that because that's not the end game. It goes to this next level, this small circle. It's not so much, there you go, the connected. It's not so much for inspiration, although you find inspiration in that smaller circle. It's not so much for information. You find that as well there. But it's more for involvement and connection, being connected to one another. And this is really what the, the movement from guest to family it's no, longer, it's no longer just I'm watching at a distance, I'm a part of the big crowd. It's no longer, hey, I took a class with that person. They were, they were a pretty nice person. But it's now, they're my family. They're, we do life together. They're connected. You know, <clears throat> the, the metaphor that we're using of a house, you know, it's moving, from, it's moving from guest to family. It's moving from the foyer to the living room, maybe even on into the kitchen. Now, if you think about a kitchen, for example, you invite somebody over, you just met a random person in church, you say, hey, would you, would you like to come to my house and have lasagna? And you're like, yeah, sure, I'll come to your house. It would, be, it would feel a little awkward if they showed up at your house and you said, hey, I haven't, I'm about to take a shower, I haven't cooked the lasagna, will you just make the lasagna for me? Uh, you know, those dishes, sorry, the sink is so full of dishes, will you also wash the dishes before you cook the lasagna for me? That, that, those kind of tasks in somebody's home is usually reserved for family, close friends, right? We have in our, there's some right here right now in our community that, that, uh, that do that at our house. They come over, we sit at the bar of our kitchen there, and, and if I turn my back long enough, they're in there washing dishes, <laughs> you know, and helping cook. It's because they're no longer guests, they're family, and this is really the motion, the movement that God wants for us. A great example of this is um, <clears> there <throat> are team that went to El Salvador. I've got a picture of our El Salvador team. I don't know, they all look so happy and cheery, but I don't know why. It was 4.30 in the morning in Cedar Rapids, and so it was, a, you know, it was an early, early morning. But um, we went to El Salvador last year. It was an amazing trip, great group of people. We had two components to our mission trip. There was a medical component, so we have... Let's go to the next picture, this medical team, and uh, it's really cool. This doc, uh, lady sitting right here on the bottom, uh, Lynn Diaz, she's a physician. She's a missionary there, but she's also a physician, and uh, she has a clinic, 
and also uh, has connection with hospitals and referral services and all that kind of stuff. So it's really, really good, great medical ministry down there. And so our team got to minister to thousands of pastors. There was pastors that, that is their large conference that was meeting there at, the, at that time. So thousands of pastors were coming through this mobile clinic that they had and were getting uh, prescription drugs and, and prayer and, 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 and eyeglasses and all kinds of, and referral consults and referral. I mean, it's really, really, good, really cool thing that was happening there. Another component of our t- trip was the, uh, the construction team. So we had the, Lynn Diaz has a clinic there called Good Samaritan Clinic. And the clinic was, they, they, they've, they're now building a new one. It's like a four-story building there. And if you notice, conspicuously, Rich Green is not there. I wonder where he's at. I was taking, no, I wasn't taking a picture. I was, I'd like to lie to you and say I was taking a picture. I was not taking a picture. I was averse to the, all the heavy labor of that construction. Not, not, I, I was there, but it was just a terrible day. Anyways, um, so we'll go back. Let's go back to the other side. This, what's really cool is that, you know, through Kingdom Builders, last year we had some excess funds in Kingdom Builders, which is really awesome. So we were able to allocate $15,000 and then a church in Montezuma said, hey, I'll match that $15,000. So they gave $15,000. So I made it thirty. And then a church in, in Sioux City said, hey, um, we've got somebody in our church that says they want to give $75,000 to Good Samaritan Clinic. So we were able to collect $105,000 for the elevator in this building that we're standing in front of. And you guys are a part of that. That's pretty awesome. Amen. See, Kingdom Builders is actually making, some, making a difference in the world. And boy, we need an elevator in that building. It was, when we first got there, they had, this, they had the elevator shaft that was just wide open. And, and of course, you know, I had some construction guys on our team, and they're like, OSHA, man, OSHA would be all over this thing. So they, the first thing they did was block all the elevator shafts. You know, it was, just, it was funny. But, uh, so let me introduce you to the oldest member of our missions team, He's right there with a red T-shirt on. He's, you know, he's doing some electrical work. His name is Gus. And uh, do you know, anybody know Gus? Yeah. Actually, his name is Kaz. <laughs> but Kaz doesn't hear well. And so everybody was calling him Gus because they didn't know his name. They were calling him Gus, and he was responding to Gus. So we gave him the name Gus. This is Gus. Yeah, he was amazing. And then our, our, le- our fearless leaders of the mission trip was Jairus Beckett. You know Jairus and Abby. Uh, she was pregnant then. Jared's sleeping. Let's go to the next picture. Yeah, he's sleeping again. Let's, yeah, he's sleeping again. Yeah, yeah. Jarris wasn't on the mission trip. He just slept through the mission trip. So Abby did all the work. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm being funny with this, but here's, here's the point. <clears throat> the beautiful thing that developed out of that group that went is if you look at that group right there, the, the truth is that most, many of them would never actually in their everyday life intersect each other. Many of them probably would never even met each other in their everyday life, but they all signed up to be a part of a missions trip to El Salvador. And now, you should see that bunch. They are a t- two small groups have developed out of that missions trip. They throw baby showers for each other. Um, I mean, all kinds of really cool things happen and they all do it, they're doing life together. And it happens because they committed to community, to doing life together. So a person who has a heart for the house is engaged in community, all right? It's this idea of moving from consumer to contributor. Now, next one we see here is that having a heart for the house means you're engaged in worship. 
It says there in verse 42 that they broke bread together. They broke bread together. I know there's a double meaning here that it's the idea of communion. We celebrate Holy Communion here. You know, we give out the little cups with grape juice and the little wafer. And it's got this kind of a idea of, of remembering what Jesus did for us and remembering that he's coming back again. And so we do that as a very symbolic worship experience for us. But I think about this, what breaking bread, what that meant for them back then. I mean, think of the, I talked about the 3,000, it's chaotic. Can you imagine the chaos of 3,000 brand new people in the church trying to do life together? And they meet up and they're, you know, they're worshiping in the temple every once in a while, but hey, I saw you, yeah, you're a follower of Jesus too. We should get together and have a meal. So they get together and they have a meal. And they sit around and they start talking. And I could just imagine this meal morphing into telling testimonies of what God has done in their life. And before long, they're just raising their hands in worship and thanking God for everything that he's done for them. That's really, in many ways, this idea of breaking bread together. Scriptures here are not, are not trying to tell us, hey, go ahead and have meals together. Hey, you know what? Every once in a while, pull out that little cup with grape juice and a little wafer and remember what I did. No, it's about this ongoing thing of doing life together, but also worshiping God together. You engage in worship together. The other day, um, Lance and Nicole, they were in that picture, Lance and Nicole Slayball, um, came over to my house on Monday, this past, this week, this week on Monday, came to our house and they were bearing Jimmy John's. They brought Jimmy John's with them. And uh, she, in advance, said, hey, Rich, what do you have? And so I told her what I have and she brought it along and we broke bread together. That's literally what that means, breaking bread. We broke bread together. We had Jimmy John's. But then, over time, things began, to, our conversation began to grow, and next thing you know, we're talking theology. We're sharing our lives with each other. We begin praying for each other, crying. I can't help but think that, that on that Monday night around 7 p.m., that the Lord was looking down, and he was saying, now that's the worship I like. That's the worship I like. They're engaged in worship together. We worship around here. We have a high value of singing. You see, we sing songs. You sing these songs as prayer, as prayers to God. We're saying, God, this is what we want. Those, those words that are on that screen that are speaking of your reality, of who you are, of what you can do in us, God, that's our prayer. That's the reality we want in our lives. And so we sing that, and we pray that as we're going through worship. But you know what's really, really impactful is that we're here together doing it together. That you're standing next to somebody and you say, I know exactly what they're going through. Wow, that song, those lyrics, those lyrics on that screen are right now, they should be speaking to their heart because I know exactly what they're going through. Someone with a heart for the house is engaged in worship. And then lastly, having a heart for this house means you engage in prayer. Prayer is learning to hear and respond to God, God's leading. Uh, you know, one thing I really want for Life Church is that, that we as a church are a, a church of, of a people of prayer. And I mean, I, don't, I know it sounds, of course, Pastor Richie would say that. That sounds spiritual to say that, that we should be a people of prayer. But here's the reason why I say that. 
Because I have, I have discovered in my own life, I've got to many, many situations in my life where I've got to the end of my rope. There were miracles that I needed in my life. There was provision that I needed in my life. There was relationships that needed a change in my life. There was healings that needed to happen in my life. And all these things, and I just got to the end of my rope. I could not do it on my own. And only through the, through the work of prayer, as I pursued God and I asked God to come into my life, that those things could happen. And so I start thinking as a leader of this church, I start thinking, imagine, imagine if all 900 or whatever, maybe there's about 12 or 1,300 that claim to be attending this church, imagine if every one of us had lives that were devoted to prayer, what God can do in us and through us, amen? See, prayer is this idea that you're confirming your trust in God. In fact, a lack of prayer... Lack of prayer is basically saying to God, hey, God, I got this. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. Now, I know many of us as Christians, we intellectually assent to prayer. We intellectually say, yeah, of course we should be people of prayer. I also know that many of us, those same people that say we should be people of prayer, say, yeah, but God, I've got this. <laughs> I'm kind of doing this on my own. We don't use that language. We just, we just do it. It's just the way we operate, the way we live. And so the challenge for us right now, for all of us, is that we would step back from that and say, okay, God, I want to be dependent upon you. I'm married. I'm a married man, and I've got a wife that I love. Sometimes I'm not a perfect husband to her, and sometimes she's not a perfect wife to me. But God, instead of me trying to figure it all out by myself, God, will you, will you step into my marriage? I invite you into my marriage. God, will you reveal to me what I need to do in my marriage? God, I've got financial issues in my life. I've got challenges in my life financially. And I, yeah, I could go hustle. I could do a lot of things. I know I need to probably do all that hustling. But, but God, will you miraculously come into my financial world? This is all prayer. And all of it is saying, God, I depend and I trust in you, not in myself. That's what God's really inviting us all into. I'm going to ask us to stand. Um, you know, I've said around here many times that we need to own our own spiritual growth. And what I mean by that is that <clears throat> I think often I, I could get up here and I could preach this sermon. I just gave you, for example, four ways that, that we can, like we talk about going all in. Like all in can be this like hurrah moment. Yeah, we're all in for Jesus, you know. And then I could see the wheels spinning for some of you. You're like, okay, yeah. Hey, yeah, hurrah, all in for Jesus. And I'm like, what does all in for Jesus mean? What do I do? <laughs> right? So I just kind of gave you an idea. A person who's all in is engaging the scriptures. A person who's all in is engaging in community. A person who's all in is engaging in worship. A person who is all in is engaging in prayer. Very practical stuff, very common sense kind of things. Here's the thing. Is that I can get up here and I can preach that to you and you could hear me and might even say, yeah, Rich, I agree. You can turn, get up, walk out the door and do absolutely nothing. That's possible. Because at the end of the day, what is laid before you is a choice. You have to choose it. You can agree with it, but you've got to choose it for your life. You've got to make a decision, a choice. God, I want to engage the scriptures. Therefore, I'm going to set my alarm a little earlier and read the Bible in the morning. 
God, I want to be, I want to be in a life-giving community. I want to be part of this fam- family, not just, not just a guest in this big house. I want to be a part of the family. And so I'm going to, I'm going to engage in community. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for that small group, that life group, even though I'm a little bit scared about going to a life group because who knows? I mean, they might want to know my, my life. I'm not sure if, they, if I want to tell them what's in my life. But remember, going all in involves risk. It's challenging, but it's rewarding. And so maybe the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to not simply assent to it, but agree to it and make a choice, a decision to go all in by joining a life group. And worship and prayer can go on. It's a choice. So a choice is laid before you. What I want to do is I'm just going to pray for you right now. And... Um, and our prayer teams are here. You, you're encouraged to come and pray with them after the service. But here's what I would like to do is, as, as I pray, is that you would pray with me and I w- you would agree with me and I would agree with you that God, 2020 is not going to be status quo anymore for me. Some of you in this room, you would say there are things that are not working for me relationally, financially, spiritually. They're not working for me. And so... I'm making a choice right now that this year is not going to be the same thing as it was last year. And so there are things that I need to tweak. There are things that I need to change. Like I do need to get into God's word. I do need to engage in communion. I do need to start praying more. I need all these things. I need to start doing. Not because your salvation depends on it, but because you don't want to be a guest anymore in this house. You want to be a family member. And you want to have a community around you that loves you and that cares for you and that supports you. So that's really a challenge, okay? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, because I know that you're in this place, and I know that you're speaking to us, that you're challenging us. Father, there are individuals in this room right now that are assessing where they've been, and they know that they don't want to be there anymore. They know that that's not the path, that's not the journey they want to be on, that's not the, that's not the road that they want to be heading down, Father. There's a different road for them. So today, Father, they're making decisions They're making choices to go all in for you, God, and I agree with them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will step into their lives, that right now, even as they're praying, God, that you will step into their lives and you will give them the strength, give them the courage, give them the wisdom to make those choices. Change direction, change trajectories. God, there are individuals in this room that that they do all the right things outwardly, but Father, there are the internal disciplines of, of reading your word and praying, God, that just is lacking right now. And, and God, you're inviting, inviting intimacy with you, Father, to grow in relationship with you, Father, to no longer be living in this in-between zone where things are just, we believe things, but just our life doesn't seem to show it, God. We really want to press into you, God. We want to go all in, and we want you to change our hearts and our lives. So right now, Father, I agree with all the choices that are being made in this room, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will confirm it in each and every heart. You'll challenge them, Father, as they walk out these doors, as they go to bed tonight, as they wake up tomorrow morning. You'll challenge them with the commitments that they have made to follow you and to go all in, to be engaged followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.